0: I know the answer already, <laughs> but I was shocked when I heard this. But I want you to you to tell it.
1: Yeah. So if you buy a Quelle water,
0: I mean, you this are is funding a, a cult. This is a product that I drink all the time. I I didn't know. And rely. Are you ready? <laughs> How are you doing? Good. Cool. course, we just jump straight into it? Totally. Today we've got an absolutely amazing guest and before I even introduce her, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone for all the support on the previous podcasts. It's been, yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. I've been reading through all the comments and um, yeah, I just didn't think that things would go so well so quickly. And I just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much and subscribe to the channel. Cool. So today's guest is Erica Bornman. She is an author, and she is best known for her book, Mission of Malice, which is about her experience of being raised in a cult called Kwazulu-Bantu, or for short, KSB. So welcome to the studio.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to, to our chat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think let's start off with the definition of a cult. I mean, what is a cult?
1: So that's it. That's not everybody agrees on what is a cult. Um, and it's something Kwasi are vehemently against, being called a cult. So um, they don't
0: like to be called no, a cult?
1: No, no, no. Um, many people now these days call them high control groups or um, they are all about control. So there's a, a cult expert in the US called Stephen Hassan. And he has a very simple way of identifying a cult, and he calls it the BITE model. And the B in um, BITE stands for behavior. So they control your behavior, what you do, how you dress, what you don't do. The I stands for information. So they control what you hear, but also what is said about them. Um, the T stands for thought. And that is when they actually really get into your head and start controlling your thoughts, Um I think, yeah. Just complete brainwashing, yeah. Yeah, brainwashing. And then the E stands for emotion. So they also control you. They control your emotions and they control you through emotions. So they control you... They control your behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, but they also control you by using behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions. They basically
0: control every aspect of your life and all the information you're receiving and outputting as well. Absolutely. And what is the meaning of Bantu?
1: So it's uh, Zulu for the place where people are helped. Okay. Kwa is the place and uh, Siza is help and Bantu is people. So the place where people are helped.
0: It's got quite a dark feeling to it in a way. Now that I know what Kwasisabantu is about, when I hear that, it's like quite eerie.
1: Mm. Many people just call it the mission. Um, Like we all, when we were there and even after leaving it, it's just just quite simply the mission, you know. Yeah.
0: I think before we get into Kwasisabantu and your life there, Mm. I think I want to know about your childhood a bit more. Like what was your childhood like before you and your parents moved there?
1: I remember myself being a really happy child. Um, I'm the youngest of three. My dad's a teacher; he was a teacher. My mum looked after us at home, and, um, and were they quite
0: good parents?
1: Yes, strict. Um, I mean, I grew up in an Afrikaans home. Um wordt gesien en nie gehoor was definitely what does that mean? Uh, children are seen but not heard. Okay. Um, although we had lo- lots of discourse as a family, but you know. For example, if they were guests and my dad just needed to go like that and we would instantly know what he means and what we should do. Be
0: quiet and go away.
1: Yeah, yeah. So... They were strict, but loving. We never had a TV at home, not even before we got involved with Kwasi Samantu. Which is probably not
0: such a bad thing. <laughs> no,
1: because, you know, I can I can read a book like this in three and a half hours. And you that's know? your
0: book, eh? And that's my book, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's it called here? Uh, Mission of Malice. Mission of Malice. My
1: exodus from Kwasi Zabantu.
0: And where can people find your book?
1: Everywhere in, in bookshops in South Africa um, or on Kindle. And they are busy recording the audiobook.
0: My Amazing. publishers, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Voiced by me? <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs>
1: no, no, by, by a woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, was your family always religious? Mm.
1: We so went there, to the there, Dutch okay. Reformed Church, the Engekar. Um I was, yeah, yeah, we were. But 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 quite a normal family, you know. And then one day I was around eight years old, and my mother went to listen to someone at Khadini Spa. We were living in Worcester at the time, and she went to listen to someone preach, and she came back with stars in her eyes. And you know, as an eight-year-old, you don't know why your parents make the decisions that they make. Um, you're not you're not consulted. You're just informed, especially in my family. And shortly after that, we moved all the way from Worcester in the Cape to Escort in what was then called Natal, because we're still in the awful apartheid years, um, but is now KwaZulu-Natal, where my dad accepted a job um, at the high school as a maths and science teacher. Um, they liked him because he could he could give lessons in Afrikaans and English. Um, he was bilingual. and. Uh, my mum went and stayed for about three months. She went and stayed at this mission, Kwasi Sabantu, which was about a two, two and a half hour drive from Escort. And then she came back and she was... Had her mind made out. Completely. completely I mean, I, r- I
0: remember you were talking about, you don't really know why people move, especially when you're younger. I mean, I was born in Zimbabwe and at the age of seven, my parents said, we're up and leaving. Um, And I was like, why? Like, I love Zimbabwe. It's such a great place. Mm. And um, I didn't realize why. Mm. But looking back now, I can clearly see there was reasons. Looking back now... Why do you think your parents made that decision to to move there? It was it just because of that that one time that your mother heard that preacher?
1: Yeah, I think I think it was proximity. I later I heard that their marriage wasn't as idyllic as I thought it was and that your they parents. had problems. Yeah, they had problems. Um and um my mother felt that these are the only people who can help her and I really wish they'd gotten divorced and that we'd stayed with my dad in Worcester, but you know didn't happen that way.
0: <laughs> and did your dad want to move to Quetzaltenango?
1: My mother says he did in her affidavits that she, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, but so I don't know. He he did. I he died, so I can't ask him. Yeah.
0: And um, so how how old were you again when you moved there? Eight. Eight when years we moved
1: old. To escort. Yes. And
0: what was your first impression of the place? Like, I'm sure it must have been such an adjustment in comparison to. The I mean, what you had experienced before that.
1: Yes. Yeah, what so was it like?
0: Like, what were the people like when you got there? And what was the environment like?
1: So, um, this was, so this was the early 1980s. And Kwasi was one of the few multiracial places in South Africa at the time. And that's I, actually something
0: I was going to ask you about. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, um, I, I just remember the singing Um, Oh, the Zulu people, oh man, they sing so beautifully and harmonize. You know, in the Dutch Reformed Church, when you sang a hymn, everyone sings the same tune. Men, women, we all sing the same tune. Then you're sitting here in this congregation and people are singing and there's soprano, alto, tenor and bass, in beautiful harmony. So you kind of just and hear it just all like, over the, the settlement. I was completely amazed. I loved the singing. I didn't like the very uncomfortable chairs and I didn't like the length of the sermons. which often goes on for two hours, two and a half, three hours. You know, it's so never an hour.
0: You say it's a, a mixed race um, settlement. And was everyone treated equally?
1: The black children, when I w- w- this is later, um, they were treated horrifically. Um, as a white child, I was spared a lot. Um, you didn't I,
0: even probably know.
1: I didn't know. Um, some of the stuff I only found out last year. Um, I the 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 black girls when they established a boarding school um, in 1986, they would come back from holidays and all the girls would be tested for whether they were still virgins. Um, That never happened to me. And the, the black children also, often the white children were told to leave the assembly or leave the hall Um, and I would later find out that the black children were beaten and sometimes stripped naked in in public. Um, Look, I witnessed a lot of public beatings as well, but never where children were stripped of their clothing. They never did that in front of us white children.
0: And what were people beaten for?
1: You could have been um, cheeky. Or so just
0: like minor things, mainly.
1: Yeah, whatever was just because they could do it. Because they could, uh, if you wrote a letter to a boy, or if they thought you were making eyes at a boy, that was grounds for. And was, a was that not allowed? Like no, uh, no. To no.
0: form relationships no, no.
1: or anything. Oh, oh god, no, no. You and I wouldn't have been allowed to speak to each other even um, because we're not married and we're not related. Um, no, no, no. Oh. A, a ch- a, children were actually expelled from school but they were only expelled after they'd been beaten and it didn't happen to me because I was a white child and I learned quite early on that I had to be absolutely quiet I became a real shadow child and but for the slightest thing you would you would get beaten like the 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 the, the black children also had their heads shorn um like i could do what i wanted with my hair i mean obviously i would not have been able to grow my fringe this long like it would have to be like above my my eyebrows but um the the black children the boys and girls their their hair couldn't go m- much longer they they were, and and to this day I challenge you to find one photo of a domino Civite child who has who who ha, has black hair and who doesn't have it shorn close to the scalp.
0: And this might be a bit of an ing- ignorant question, but why do did they did they stay there if they were be, being treated like this? Um Children
1: don't have a choice.
0: The parents.
1: Well, I don't think that all the parents necessarily knew. So here's the interesting thing. So because I was a child, I had no choice. So as an adult, I have found it really interesting to try and see why do people join cults? Like what were my parents thinking? And I've come to the realization, not that I'm a world expert on this, but I've come to the realization that It's not weirdos who join cults. The people who start the cults probably are seriously sick or or weird. I I don't think that they have good intentions. I don't care what people say. They say that it started good and it devolved into something bad. I don't believe that.
0: I think something that I could compare it to, and a lot of people ask me this because I work a lot with gang members, Mm. um, and people always say, why do people join gangs? And a lo- lot of the time, this might not be the same case, but it's it's for belonging. It's belonging. It's belonging. It's one of yeah. the, my
1: three things. Yes. So a lot of the people want to do good. And a lot of these cults, it appears on the surface that they are actually doing good. So if you're a Christian and you believe that being a missionary or m- doing mission work is a good thing, then you're going to think that Kwasi Sabantu does good work. I have opinions about people who take their religion to other people but that's those are my opinions. And I
0: find a lot of the time religion can be weaponized. Oh for sure. And um they people are used because of their beliefs yes. and I've seen it with the, I, I did an interview with this guy a little while ago and um he had nothing absolutely nothing he was a refugee from Burundi mm-hmm. and um his story is horrific and uh, we we try to help him out and we raised a bunch of money for him mm. to go back to school and he was giving some of it away to the church. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I completely understand this because faith must come first always for you. Yeah. But at the same time, you must help yourself before yeah. you look to help other people.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, it's sad, but I think that could have happened almost to your mother where her faith was taken advantage of.
1: Definitely, yeah, we can talk about my mother in a bit, but um, let's take let's take talk generally. I yeah. think that people are they want to do good. then secondly, they um, they're searching for something, um, whether it's answers or a sense of belonging or I think for many it's a sense of belonging or just they searching for answers. But the third thing I think that they all have in common is that they are quite happy to have someone tell them what to do. So they're okay with giving up their autonomy. Um, now, to me, that's foreign, but and I think that's for because
0: a di- looking for a direction. They looking, life.
1: yes, yes, someone who has the answers. And then I think it's the frog in the pot of cold water, like initially. Oh this feels so good. These people are so nice. They're so kind. They love bomb you, which is what narcissists also do. They love bomb you. You you've never been accepted the way that these people accept you. You've never seen so much love. You've never seen so much like everyone just have these has these quiet faces.
0: It's, I think it's it's called grooming.
1: Total grooming. And then as the pot heats up and maybe there's one thing where you where you where they say something and you think, "Wait, that be right but you ignore your intuition and you just follow you just carry on i've
0: got a quote from your book here yes and um it's by joseph goebbels
1: yeah
0: and um joseph goebbels was hitler's right hand man uh during the second world war Mm -hmm. and um it says a lie told once remains a lie but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth
1: yeah
0: and i think like you say some red flags pop up but by that point you're so dependent and you're so brainwashed by what they've said already, that it kind of, you might think it's a bit weird, but not enough to kind of uproot your whole life once again and go, and start another, you know what I mean? You're so dependent. I mean, yes. what, do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yes. No, absolutely. They And they they also do a good job at isolating you from the rest of the world. So they are no TVs, no radios, no magazines. I believe they have the internet now, but when I was there, the internet hadn't even been born yet. Um, and you become, the, also because you have to confess your sins to a human being, so they make you very dependent on it, it, you you have to prove yourself all the time. So you if you don't confess your sins every week, what's going on in your life? What's and wrong?
0: That could be a way of them keeping tabs on totally you as well. Totally keeping
1: tabs on you and indoctrinating you further. Because here you are, you're confessing your deepest, darkest, darkest secret to another human being, and you believe them to be a man of God or a woman of God. And um, they then tell you, what you should do or how you should what behave. What you should
0: believe, yeah. Yeah,
1: so it you, it just keeps getting reinforced, and and God is a fearful thing. There, he, he that 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 Bible verse where it says that he knows every hair on your head. That's not a comforting Bible verse. It's a ominous thing because he can see your darkest thoughts he can see absolutely everything and if you die without a, with a single unconfessed sin so if I walk past you, you in the road to and I thought oh he's quite nice and I die then I go straight to hell because I hadn't confessed that sin to my counselor
0: the thing for that's me is I've, I've never understood this because I am not religious whatsoever um
1: did you grow up? How how did you grow up?
0: I've never been religious, Sam. I mean, and your parents? also not religious. Okay. I mean, we we practiced when I was young and I went to um, a school that was quite religious. Mm-hmm. But um I've always I've always just been Sun- I don't know.
1: Sundays wasn't church days.
0: We're actually Jewish, <laughs> funnily enough.
1: Ach, of course, I know that. <laughs> Do. Yeah. So Friday um, nights were in Shabbos?
0: We did. That's the thing, oh, okay. is but
1: okay. as a kid I've always, not-
0: I was never one to believe what people were telling me, or I've always questioned everything. And mm. um, the thing is, when you were saying you go straight to hell if you have one unconfessed sin, mm. for someone that does believe, that would must be such a scary thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that would terrify me. I
1: No, but you are terrified all the time. When I was 10 years old, I started wetting my bed again. I mean, like what 10-year-old child starts wetting their bed if that, if that that's a huge red flag. Um, uh, but I was I was terrified. They would show us these movies. The one was called The Burning Hell, and if you watched it now, and you can watch it on YouTube, um, it's this awful American preacher Esther Perkle, who who made all these horrible movies. And The Burning Hell depicts people actually falling into hell, and maggots crawling out of their eyes, and the agony and, and everything. Now, I, I I watched a little bit of it last year, like a, f- a few minutes, and I can see the special effects are ludicrous and laughable. It was made in the 1970s. But as a child, um, being subjected to that, and I'm sure it should have a, a, a pe- an age restriction. But I mean, toddlers, two years old babies, we were all forced to watch these movies. The other one was... Um, in short, The Footman, it has a longer title, but it's when, communi- when the communists come, um, and by communists they meant the ANC, um, they're going to they gonna persecute all the Christians and, and they show these, these um, people and there's one soldier who puts a bamboo stake through a boy's ears. And uh, to this day, and I haven't seen this movie in 35 years, The bamboo stake goes in the one ear and it comes out the other ear, and it is, and they, 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 it's graphic violence, and it's all designed to
0: shock you from a very young age
1: and to put the fear of God into you that you don't ever step outside. And if you do, Well, that's when the plumbing pipe comes out. So they used a a plumbing pipe to beat us. And sometimes it would be just the pipe, and sometimes the pipe would be filled with sand so that it was a little bit heavier. But when I say beat, I mean beat. So if you're my age... You probably got hidings as a child. Um, Me,
0: I got plenty. Just, yeah, up, just ask my mother. Okay. I was, uh, okay,
1: so you got hidings as a child and it was <laughs> sore <laughs> and it was painful and it was humiliating and it was designed for you to not do the same thing again, you know. Um, if you don't listen, you'll feel kind of thing. But these are, and if I can just paint the picture for you, so imagine a six-year-old child or a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a 12-year-old but imagine imagine of your imagine yourself at the fir- in your first year of school and and how little you were okay now you've done something wrong you're called in and you have to stand in front of everybody and the whole school is there and the teachers the adults the are there and you you are told what you've done wrong
0: so they beat you in front of everyone
1: in front of everyone then you have to pray before they beat you you pray that God will please make you receptive for this punishment that you're about to receive. Then um, what I often witnessed was the child would lie down on their tummy on the floor. One adult would hold their legs. The other adult would hold their arms. And the third adult would stand above the floor, raise his arm above his head and bring that plumbing pipe down onto the child. And not six of the best. This was... It was a sustained assault on a minor child, and it happened hundreds, if not thousands of times. And there are people my age and younger and older who are walking around with physical scars on their backs, buttocks, and thighs from those beatings.
0: I want to know, who was in charge of everything at Kwasi Zubanti? <laughs> who was like the, the leader?
1: Al Stegen. He's a South African German. Very imposing, very charismatic Um, man. He's got dementia now, so yeah, who knows what he knows, what's going on. Um, So last year, I helped News24 with an expose that they did. It was called Exodus. And I remember the day before it launched on the 19th of September, on the 18th, um, we found out that Alo had been taken ill, and he had been flown to hospital because they have four private planes, and he'd been flown by private plane to Pretoria, and he had been admitted to hospital. And I just thought, don't you die? Don't you die before this the comes, book comes out. out? No, no, it was the the News Twenty Four expose. Okay. the it was a documentary podcast and lots of articles, and I was just like, but he has dementia, so whether he knows, and you
0: know, was was. Any of this exposed before you kind of came out with the article? I remember something being on Cot Blanche as well.
1: No, it wasn't Cate Blanche. Cate Blanche has never touched this with a barge pole. That's very surprising. Yeah. You know, I would get over the years, I've probably had seven calls from different producers of Cate Blanche, and they'd be super excited and wanting to do this. And eventually I just said to them, you know, it's never going to happen. There's someone... There, who kills the story? I don't know who that is
0: very strange, yeah. Mm.
1: But anyway, never mind. Then, um, how
0: long was he in charge for?
1: He's been in charge since the late 1960s, and he okay. is still, I think, officially in charge because they haven't really told their flock that he has dementia. And um, they,
0: oh, of course, because they, I mean, they control all the information that comes in and out. Mm-hmm. That's quite mm-hmm. insane, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. But some of his later. Um, sermons that are still on YouTube, and they might scrub them now because whenever they find out about a problematic sermon, they delete it. Um, uh, you can actually tell already that he has dementia, like in 2018. So now he never preaches. He gets rolled out every now and again for photo ops, but that's about Just the only role he plays. Yeah.
0: And um, how does the place sustain itself? How do they make Ooh. money? <laughs>
1: Oh, they are uh, industrious. I know, I
0: know the answer already, <laughs> but I was shocked when I heard this. But I want you to, you to tell it.
1: Yeah, so if you buy a water, I water,
0: mean, you're funding a, a cult. This is a product that I drink all the time. I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Okay. I had no idea. Well, now you know. Now I know. Yeah. And I'm not going to drink a Kwele water. No, don't. Funnily enough, I remember hearing about this years ago and... I'd never really paid attention to the story. Mm. Um I never I never looked into it. I mean I was a lot younger and I was mm. up to no good back then anyway. <laughs> I, I've only recently cleaned up my act. But um Aquele Water is a product that is
1: sold everywhere.
0: I mean it's everywhere. Yeah. I could not believe
1: mm-hmm. when
0: I heard it was manufactured by Kwasi Zabantu.
1: Yeah, and it's fully owned by them. And all their profits go straight I mean, they must make a to fortune. Kwasi Zabantu. They do. Well, Kwasi Zabantu uh, managed to lose $160 million to a con man. Now, you, are, I ask you, how is that possible? When their workers are earning minimum wage, um, you this, know, this where's was, your morality? This
0: was something me and my dad were talking about because my dad's re- reading your book currently. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about a cult is... He he said to me, Do you think that Kosissa Bantu could have been formed um because they wanted almost like slave labor? He probably <laughs> didn't say it in those words, but
1: <laughs> Well, they definitely have slave labor.
0: <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think the workers at Aquela Factory get get paid. Um, but a lot of the other people at Kwasisa Bantu are volunteers. Um, so they're doing it for they, God. Yeah, they're doing it for God. And even people who worked at Aquila told me that when they would ask, you know, about their salary, um, they would be told, "But you're working for God. Like, how can you ask for a raise?" But the directors are flying it's, it's around like in a, private planes. I'm a
0: photographer, and um, every time someone messages me asking me for to do to do work, um, they go. We don't have a budget but, but you'll, you have
1: the exposure You'll get great exposure. Oh, great you'll exposure. get great exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. And I go, keep your exposure. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so they get they get God's blessings and they and they get they get fed and they get a roof over their heads. So they need to be grateful, right? Um but Crazy. now so imagine you are there and you got married in their weird way of getting married and you now have four or five or six or seven children because, you know, they don't have TV. Um, and now imagine that, that 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 your eyes are open and you realize, hang on, these guys have been hoodwinking me. They are not godly. What do you do with your family now? You have nothing. You own nothing. The house that you're living in belongs to Kwesi Sabantu. The car that you're driving probably belongs to them too. How do you now take your family with children and who depend new life. on you? Where do you start a new life? How do you start a new life? Um, they make it
0: almost impossible to leave.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the people who do are shunned. Um, my mother and my sister still live there and they've, they've disowned me.
0: Um, I was going to ask. Um, mm, I think I'll ask that a little bit later. yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to know what were... I mean, did you form any close relationships in there?
1: Well, you can't really. You have friends. But one of the things is that if you know of a friend's sin and you don't confess it to your counselor, um, then you will also go to hell if you die and you, you so will get the same punishment. So everyone's just constantly confessing. <laughs> everyone's snitching on everyone else. That snitching is Snitching culture is huge there and you have to. So um, I had friends, but but not that you could Really confide in the one person I grew close to was my counsellor. He was a man who was in his like late twenties, early thirties. He was married, he had two children at that stage.
0: Uh, and what was his name?
1: Muzi Gunene. Muzi. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you Google him, you'll see that he's in jail for murder. Um, but that was after he left. Um, and he.
0: And what was your relationship like?
1: He was my counsellor, so I, I actually chose him. Um, I was told that if I didn't get a counselor because the first year i I didn't confess my sins now we're, now I'm already age 15 okay so we've jumped a little bit I'm age 15 my father has just died um, and I'm going to school at their school and um, for the first year I didn't confess my sins and then I, my mother told me at the end of that year in December I just turned 16 that the school board have said that because I'm not interested in confessing my sins, they're going to expel me. And if they expel me, then she has to kick me out as well. So I must pack a little suitcase and walk up to the main road and try and catch a lift to wherever. And then I begged her, please, you know, I'll, I'll get a counsellor. And she was like, okay, well, if you start confessing your sins, then then you can stay. So then I auditioned some counsellors. Um, uh, the, the first woman I went to, she's also Germ- German, South African, and she was just so cold. And I was just like, this is so awful. You know, how can I... But also at but also that also age, at the age of sixteen, you've got no TV. No, you're not allowed to talk to boys. You, you, you're not allowed to b- b- read anything or listen to anything. I mean, like, how many sins can you actually commit?
0: But also at that age, you were probably wanting an opportunity to have some one-on-one time with a guy, even if it was subconscious. Oh, it, it's it, like
1: it would have been subconscious because we had no sex education as well. Like, you,
0: you were probably like, this could be an opportunity. Obviously, subconsciously to it would have been subconscious, but yeah, probably be legally yeah. allowed to go and sit and have a chat with someone that is yeah. male.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd never even considered that, but quite possibly. So I I picked Muzi because he he spoke like five languages fluently. He was very intelligent. He reminded me of my dad. And he when he preached, he would bring in some snippet of history or some something. It was never just doom and gloom and. You know, it there was always something interesting. Like he knew a lot about history. And so I thought at least, you know, he's there's something between his ears. You can learn something. Mm. So I started going to him and and um I had just turned seventeen and it was my dad's birthday. Um only his second birthday after he had died and um the twenty-fourth of August. And I remember really crying that day um, because I come from a very affectionate family. My dad, we were all about hugs and, and, strict, and suddenly, but affectionate. Strict but very affectionate and very loving. And suddenly there was just no affection. My mother was your mom quite cold. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was grieving her husband. She didn't pay me any attention, really. Um, I don't remember once eating a meal with her in that time. It That's was crazy, all communal meals. Yeah, me, no, I was like, an orphan basically. For
0: me, like I've I've gone through quite a rocky path getting mm. to the place I am now, mm. and I still have my ups and downs. But for, for me, the only people that I've always been able to depend upon are my family mm-hmm. and it's so sad really thinking like and, and it's such a common thing which is which is crazy to me because i'm born in this privileged environment mm-hmm. and you think that this is the only way yeah. to live Yeah, you think everyone's living like this especially growing up and then you realize that a lot of people don't grow up with these luxuries no, no. um so I mean it's it is it's really crazy. Eh? did you think it was a normal way to be brought up? The way you were you were yeah, brought up. Yeah. You th- you thought everyone was meant to be like that.
1: No, well I knew that not everybody was like that, but we had the truth. God had revealed the truth to Elo and we were the only ones who who knew the truth. So the rest of the world they were living in sin.
0: Everyone else was wrong and they were right.
1: Yeah. So I knew things were different for other people, but Because you had uh,
0: kind of seen when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway,
1: that, so this man paid yeah, me a lot of attention, yeah. And that, that day he gave me a hug and it was like one of the only hugs that I had received and it felt so good. And then that became the norm. And then eventually he started cupping my bum with his hand. I remember that day clearly. So was he
0: ab- abusing you? Well, he and groomed
1: me, yes. And then eventually it turned into molestation, I suppose. Um, I was never raped, but... Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was a virgin until the age of twenty-four, but um, it was definite grooming and kissing, and and yeah, it, it, it yeah, it was it was very, very much not okay.
0: And um, did it, at the time did it feel wrong?
1: Yes, yes. But I believe that I was wrong because he's a man of God. Because he knows so what he's talking about. Yeah, if and, there's sin, yeah. the sin is mine. Yeah. And
0: that's another thing that I was that I, I, I picked up in an article in in, in the book. Um, when women were abused, yeah, it was their fault. Yeah, is that how it was? Absolutely. And if someone was inappropriately touching you or uh, uh, assaulting fault. you, it's because the way you dress or
1: yeah, you did it. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. your fault. How dare
1: you make a man of sin, a man of God sin, and confess your sin? Um, I have personally heard from someone who was raped at the age of eighteen, and. Um, she went to report it to Alois and He was in charge of Krasisabansi. Yeah, and he um, told her to confess her sin and repent. And another girl who was also raped, he told her, God has forgiven you your sin. And the men got off scot-free. I find that insane. Yeah, I think her rapist wasn't allowed... To sing in the choir for like two weeks or something. That was his punishment for raping an eighteen-year-old.
0: It's insane, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, things have come a long way in terms of like the. You know, you know it's. Um, I think it's a lot easier these days for people to come out, but in a, and and say what what had happened to them. But I think um, when you live in a place like that, it's like.
1: You have no recourse. Who and do you, you even can, go to? But you don't even know that you can go to someone because you're the evil one.
0: It it's was unfair. only in
1: my 20s that I recognized that what had happened to me as a child and as a young girl there was abuse. I didn't, I didn't, I was contacted by a teacher who was my teacher when I was 10 years old. And she said to me, she didn't know. And I said to her, but you wouldn't have known because I didn't tell anybody. A, t- so, a teacher
0: at Korsuzabansu. No, a
1: teacher at Stanger. Okay. We were we were based there. The, I only went to the school that they established when I was fifteen. Um, and 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 it was just and another and another school friend of mine from that time reached out to me and said we didn't know. I we had no idea. And I said. You you wouldn't have. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even Probably know so that I was scared, being abused. Yeah,
0: Too to scared to say anything. But I
1: thought that whatever was happening to me it was your fault. I was deserving of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's okay. it messes with your mind. And you know what it does? Is it obliterates your boundaries as a child? And um, I mean, I. Ran away at the age of 21, um, which was in 1992.
0: So you left Kwasisabantu at 21 years old?
1: Yeah. I used such a huge. I had to lie to my mother because even though I was an adult now, I didn't know that because an, a, a girl there remains the property of her parents until the day she marries and then they hand her over to her husband. So I couldn't do anything without my mother's permission. So I couldn't leave the mission um, without my mother's permission. And I got her permission to go and visit my aunt, my dad's sister who lived in Peter And I packed a small suitcase because I was just going for the weekend. And when I got to Iris, I just said, Iris, I, I, I can't go back there. And she said to me, you don't have to, my child. And um, so that's how I ran away. Um, so you
0: ended up staying with your uncle and auntie?
1: Just my aunt, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For a long time. Yeah, she, she was wonderful.
0: And what happened to... To Muzi, I know you you kind of spoke about that briefly.
1: Yeah. So a a, a few months after I left, I actually realised that the, the, a, the, a fair amount happened. Like Muzi actually. Because I thought I could get him to stop what he was doing if I told him that he was making me sin, you know, that this, not he, but that this was making me sin, because I had only a vague idea of lust. You know, it was the the, the 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 most evil thing of all evils is premarital sex, and they preach about lust a lot. And I thought because his kisses um, were they were tender. I mean, he, uh, and and I felt arousal, but I didn't know what it was, but I knew that it was wrong look even thought it was wrong yeah yeah but uh, but well I knew that it was wrong you know I mean like uh, they
0: in terms of what they had told you yeah
1: yes I I thought this must be what lust is and I must be feeling it and I am evil I cannot begin to tell you how ignorant we all were um the biology textbooks they would anything dealing with reproduction they'd either glue the pages shut or they'd them right cut them out. out completely. Um, they would allow us to watch The Sound of Music, but it was in my twenties when I watched The Sound of Music, I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense because all the love <laughs> scenes were cut out.
0: I like, mean I remember watching The Sound of Music when I was like probably like eight, yeah. nine, ten.
1: So the the, the the two movies that I remember them allowing us watch that weren't like Esther stuff, um, was The Sound of Music, but it was censored. Um, and Ben-Hur, which was also censored. What do you um, mean
0: by censored? It was like edited So the love by scenes them. cut
1: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love scenes were cut out. So anything remotely romantic was cut out. So I told him that I don't know what lust is, but I think that when we're together, You're experiencing um, I'm experiencing it. lust. Do you know what this man did? <laughs> <laughs> Almost.
0: You can swear. PG.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He took me to Ailo. Now, they make a big thing that your confessions is sacrosanct and nobody ever hears what you say. But that's such bullshit. Anyway, he took me to Ailo and he said, won't you tell Uncle Ailo what you told me? So I told Uncle Ailo what I told Muzi that I think I was feeling lust for him. What I didn't tell Uncle Alo, because Muzi told me I'm not allowed to tell anyone because nobody will understand, was that this was why he was freaking kissing and fondling me. Anyway, so... So he
0: was basically saying that you were experiencing these things, but he wasn't saying what he was doing to make you experience no, these feelings.
1: No, but 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 they Elo the knew exactly what was happening because, I mean, how do you I'm sure you he get, was
0: probably doing he, a fair share of it himself.
1: Yeah, who knows? I wish they would come forward. Um... But, uh, I mean, he knew. He knew how innocent I was. He he knew that I knew nothing. He knew that...
0: He knew it because that's how he and made other, it.
1: And, and there was a lot of sexual assault going on there. And I know Kwasi Zabanta wants to take me to court for saying this. And I wish that they actually fucking would. Because, you know, stop promising me that you're going to sue me and freaking do Just it. Just do it, yeah. Just having a stranger say, I believe you... Um, It's such
0: a big thing. It's
1: such a big thing. And
0: to be one of the first whistleblowers or one of the first people that come out, it's like people hear you. But the thing is, a lot of the time I find, like, people say one voice can be so loud. But a lot of the time it's also not, and it's not heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a lot of the time, it takes a number of people before people start really listening and believing yeah. what's what's being said.
1: Well, the thing is, is that when the News Twenty Four expose came out, and they did a such a big platform as well, yeah, and they did a seven month investigation, and I mean, they they the reporting is solid, you know. Then there was an out, outcry, and Woolworths said, okay, they're not buying anything from them until further investigation. Checkers and Shoprite never took Aquela off the shelves. Um, I
0: mean, it's at every garage, it's at everything.
1: Uh, a pick and Pay said no, they are going to wait. Uh, they they want to investigate. Spa did the same. Although many Spa franchises in KZN are owned by members, the, the leaders of Kwasi Sabantu. So, so it's there's a very less, powerful mm-hmm.
0: organization, eh?
1: Oh, my word.
0: I want to talk more about when you when you left.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, I've got it as this segment is called joining the real world. Yes. I don't know what yes. the real world is, but.
1: No, <laughs> it, the real world is a flipping scary place, dude.
0: What was it like oh. a- after being sheltered for so long oh. to leave and now be able to do basically what you want? I mean, you, you said you stayed with your auntie. Mm. What was she like?
1: Oh, she was the most wonderful human being Ever.
0: And was she um, religious?
1: She's actually a Buddhist, but at the, at that time she still went to church every now and again. But uh, she never asked. I went with her once.
0: But it wasn't, but an, it wasn't religion. Like, wasn't an issue. It wasn't a big thing. No,
1: no, no. She didn't kill ants or spiders. She was, she was all about love and 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 caring. And she was so compassionate. And she was just. Yeah. So so, so so suddenly I was just surrounded by so much love. But I had to get a job. I got a job as a receptionist. Um and I was still wearing the mission clothes, you know, which is um very like not revealing at all. Your upper arms was, have to be covered, your knees ask, have to be covered. Did you,
0: um kind of rebel a bit against what their teachings were or were you so kind of indoctrinated that you still believed that you had to follow this way so you were still very religious and
1: well no you see I believed that I was going to hell
0: You were set. Um, That was your fate.
1: That was my fate, and um, so I may as well. And then, and then I had an alcoholic drink, and then started loosening up a little bit. I got a pair of jeans. The first time I wore the jeans, in fact, the first few times I wore the jeans, I thought that this lightning bolt was going to strike me dead, because that's what happens to people in their stories. You know, you turn your back on God, and He strikes you dead. So when I first wore a pair of jeans, I mean, you were like, I'm a goner.
0: This is it, I'm totally, done. Totally,
1: totally. That's why I was a virgin for so long as well.
0: And this is another thing is, can I say anything? Yeah. Can I read something from your book? No, no go for it. That my dad actually bookmarked because he thought it was really <laughs> funny. So this is talking about, I think, your first experience giving a blowjob. Oh, my God. Do you know yes. what I'm talking about now? Oh no. <laughs> can I read it? So it says, it's not all bad, of course. My ignorance and nativity led me into many situations that will, in retrospect, provide my girlfriends and me with lots of laughs in years to come. Like the time John pushes my head down and I realize that this must be what they call a blowjob. (laughs) And so I take little John in my mouth and blow with all my might. What the hell, John exclaims, what are you doing? Our relationship doesn't, doesn't last long after that. A few months later, never having ventured there again, I ask a girlfriend what the best way is to give a blowjob. And then she says, just pretend it's a lollipop, she says, and, and suck until you get to the sherbet. Suck, question <laughs> mark. I'm supposed to suck? How was I supposed to know that? It's called the blowjob, <laughs> <laughs> for heaven's sake. Life out here is seriously confusing. <laughs> Man, that is such a funny story. Oh, because
1: it's, it's one of my dinner party stories. You know, and it's and like... I always go like... <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and then the, everyone just collapses in laughter. I mean, these are but things, how was I supposed to know? These are things
0: that you would learn growing up, you yeah, know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Chatting with
0: friends. I couldn't imagine... <laughs> So many Sorry, things. John, you know? I mean, I don't know so many things, right? <laughs> but I would know so much less if it wasn't for like trial and error, yes. doing things and they're yes. going, your parents going, no, this is not the right way to doing it. Or your mm. friends going, this mm. is not the right way of doing it, you mm. know? Especially when you have friends that are close to a- your age and mm. male and female. Um, yeah. You don't just learn through your own experience. You yeah. learn through everyone else's experiences as well. And um, that,
1: that doesn't happen in a cult. So um, uh, my, the, the book opens um, on, a, on a scene when I'm in my 20s um, and um, I have a, a, a meeting with a very malevolent pau-pau. Um And how that happens is you are so indoctrinated that if you don't, if you have never been taught how to do something, you don't know how to do it. So you don't trust yourself or your intuition. You have no inner voice. You've you you you've silenced your inner voice long ago. Um, and so if someone hasn't taught you how to make a bed, you don't know how to make a bed. If someone hasn't taught you how to walk properly or how to accept something or you, just you don't, don't know, how, you to don't do know how to do it. So you kind I'm, of stay in your lane. Yeah, so by this time I've left the mission three years previously. I have my first proper serious boyfriend um, and he takes me to a friend's house. It's a potluck lunch and everyone's gathered and everyone's chatting and I'm a bit nervous. Look, I'm a very outgoing person, but, but I was so out of my depth back then that I was just quite quiet, you know, unless someone started talking to me about something that I knew about, like the Second World War or, or you know, then, then then I could come alive because I actually knew what I was talking about. And the host, James, handed me a big knife and he said, oh, Erica, why don't you make the fruit salad?
0: And you're like, I have no idea what a fruit salad is or I have and, no idea how to make it.
1: And I turned around and there's this pawpaw. Now nah, I've never been taught how to peel and chop a pawpaw. And I started crying, and I had a proper little breakdown there, because that fear—that I, I didn't know how to peel this purple, but I knew I was going to do it wrong. didn't know
0: how to ask for help as and well. No,
1: no, no. Asking for help to this day is a sin. Is no, it's oh. very hard for me. Okay, very, very hard. I learned I was on my own. I couldn't depend on anyone. So even to this day, it's it's like one of the things that I still battle with. Um, And
0: the people around you to this day, I mean, do you have quite good friendships? I
1: have the best friends. I have such an amazing group of friends what
0: was their reaction when they found out how you were raised and
1: so with people that i'm close to you i'm i'm quite i'm I mean, i'm quite open about it you know um, i mean I, we just
0: met now and yeah every, i can see you're very open yeah. About it. yeah
1: and but i did learn however like at a dinner party or whatever the moment i started telling my story i would be the focus for the rest of and the evening i'm
0: sure that's probably quite scary
1: oh no no i like being the center of <laughs> attention <laughs> my sister will tell the crl commission that i'm an <laughs> (laughs) no now I'm fine you know now I'm totally fine about it um there are things like when I think about my my family like my dad my mom my sister my three nieces um they're they're adults in their 20s now and, and 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 I don't know them I've been forbidden to have any contact with them so that's really hard you know and 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 I think what writing this book, one of the things it did, was it gave me so much. Oh, you know, there's a beautiful Afrikaans word, dearness. Um, it's, it's empathy, it's tenderness, it's everything rolled into it, and it it just gave me so much empathy for me as a little girl, as a young teenager, you as kind a of young look woman. At it from
0: a third person perspective, yeah. and I find um. And I, th- I always talk about this because it's, it's such a big part of my life. Addiction. Yes. Um. I when I went into treatment, you started writing things down a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I'd never really written. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I wasn't much of a writer. Mm. Um, but you start doing these programs, and you start putting all your thoughts and um, all the things you had done or, or been through previously on paper. Mm. And it really starts to put things together. And when you see it from that perspective of writing it down, first of all, it's almost like you're putting it out into the world Mm. and you're kind of releasing that weight. Um, And at the same time, it's kind of giving you room to have a space to just sit down and think about what you went through and Mm. go... And to see how far you've come, really, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for you, when you were writing the book, you go...
1: Absolutely. Y-
0: you, th- you think about all of these things that you had repressed yeah. and that you had put to the back of your mind because they were so painful to think about. Mm-hmm. But now that you were sitting there writing it down...
1: Oh, it was torture.
0: I'm sure it was very it, hard, but how did you torture. feel when you were done writing the book?
1: Scared. Um, I felt huge relief, but I was so scared that people wouldn't think it was good. Um,
0: And did you have maybe some thought that people wouldn't believe your story?
1: I think there are probably a a fair amount of people who don't. Um, But I also think that I had found such acceptance and so much, I had such an outpouring of support every time after I've spoken out, because the first time I spoke out against this place, was um, in 2000, I wrote an article um, about them. And um, even in back in 1996, um, I was helping. That's
0: when I was born.
1: No, really. That's right. See, that's the first time I spoke out against them publicly.
0: Well, we were meant to meet today.
1: 1996, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was 25 years old. I'm 25 now. <laughs> See, I just turned 50. That's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. really crazy. We'll <laughs> <not> carry on. <laughs> So I think I had already had such an outpouring of support after the News 24 expose that um, that I, I didn't fear that people wouldn't believe me. I feared that I hadn't written it well enough, you know, that, that my writing wasn't good Well, you enough. you
0: were never a trained writer, hey? Or, no, I didn't or go to author.
1: or anything. No, no, no,
0: no. But I find that the, the thing with, with my work as well is I'm not really trained – um, mm. I kind of just wing things mm. and go for it. Mm. And I think people often appreciate the rawness mm. where it's not, nothing's always, nothing, nothing, it doesn't have to be perfect, mm. but it's about the story, yes. you know, and about the experiences. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I was just, I was actually brutally, really brutally honest about myself in this book as well. I, I write about where I messed up and what I did wrong. And um, because I don't think you can tell a story unless you're actually willing to, Go, yeah, I I did that, and and then I did that, and then I did that, and yeah, I did it. You know, I I, I don't feel that I paint myself as a victim in this story. I I hope that it's one of hope because hope. the books saved me in my twenties when I didn't know how to act in the world, and um, books have always saved me. Um, and I, I would read books that other survivors have written, and. Not survivors, obviously of Kwasi Sabantu. But just of anything. But really. just of anything, childhood abuse or, or whatever. Um, I remember the one of the very first books I read um was Angela's Ashes that made a real impression on me. And I mean Frank McCourt went through a completely different experience, but our experiences are similar, you know. Our emotions are all the same, and and whether you were shut out of your house um in the middle of a, a winter or you were being beaten by the person who's supposed to be taking care of you or whatever i i think we all have such similar situations so and
0: i see that a lot once again bringing yes, it back to yes, treatment and addiction it yes. was something that like really blew my mind when i was i was in a uh, rehab for six months mm-hmm. and something that we would often talk about is we would always laugh because everyone becomes such good friends that's yes. in there and we're like we would never have met before we yes. come from completely different backgrounds I mean there could be someone like me there uh, then the next person that I'm that I'm sleeping next to is someone who's just been released from Polsmore mm. or uh y- you know someone from completely different background and everyone just gets along and we relate on so many levels so I could imagine Absolutely. when you're reading other people's writings yes. about okay. not necessarily the same experience mm. it was a way for you to relate. other people
1: and their books gave me hope and I thought that if they could get to the they if they could come out on the other side in a way that they're able to write a coherent story about it and it's more than 20 years ago I I, I've known for 20 years that I need to write this book um I always thought I would only write it after my mother died um because I just didn't want to do it to her you know um yeah, we, we, we have no contact. And, and so
0: you have no relationship anymore?
1: No, and I don't even know if I love her. But I would have liked to have spared her this, you know, even though it's her decisions. It. I can't imagine that she hasn't. Yeah. Do yeah.
0: you think she would have been informed about it?
1: Well, I was I was quite tight-lipped about the fact that I was writing a book on social media because Quasi Zabantu follows me on Twitter. I, I know this because... They they had this narrative about me lying about something. Um,
0: I'm sure they're trying to uh, expel everything yeah, you say yeah, as yeah. soon as you oh, say. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely! No, I'm a liar. That's yeah. yeah,
1: and I pointed out on Twitter how erroneous this one uh, one of their narratives were, and they immediately their tune changed. So I know that they follow me on Twitter. Oh, um, oh no, you're a man. It might not happen to you. What is it? So uh, people, women that I engage with on Twitter, a number of them have had phone calls or emails from Kwasi Zabantu. I'm um, saying, you know, don't believe everything Erica says. Why don't you come and see for yourself? So right. you might, you might get a phone call or a. Or a I hope uh, they call me. Yeah, but I, they, mis- <laughs> they misogynistic pricks. So um, yeah. So they might not because you're a man.
0: And I think, kind of coming towards the end here, I okay. want to ask you, what are your religious beliefs now?
1: I believe that it doesn't matter what you believe in. What matters is how you live how you treat people, how you treat yourself, how you treat the world, and that you can believe whatever you want. If you don't live a good life, your belief means nothing. And you can believe whatever you want. And if you live a good life, then that's good.
0: That's the the way I see things is because… Yeah, I'm not
1: religious at all.
0: I find um, that as long as what you believe doesn't impact someone else negatively, then believe whatever you want, Mm -hmm. you know? do what you want. You can hurt yourself. You can love yourself. Just don't impact the person sitting next to you. Mm. And, um, I think that's the, that's the way to be, a
1: Yeah.
0: doesn't matter what you want to believe. Just don't impact other people.
1: Yeah. Or the world or animals. Or Or do
0: impact people, but in a positive way. But in a positive way. way. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I'm not religious at all. In fact, in my twenties, I was quite anti-religion. I'm sure you wanted so, to rebel of it. Yeah. So if someone were to say to me, you know, I'm praying for you, I would go like, please don't. Um, but now someone like you says... Said to, you
0: said to me just now, you said, if I start tearing up, don't feel sorry for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but now when someone says I'm praying for you, I'm like, thank you. You know, pray, please pray for me. Um, I'm, I can take all the prayer I get. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm not okay. religious. But and, I'm a good um, person.
0: Just to end off, is there anything else that you think, uh, well, anything else that you want to say, really?
1: No, just just that um, if you're watching this and you're thinking, how do people get involved in a cult? Like, don't be so sure that you wouldn't be susceptible. Um,
0: so you're saying that they not all good. of people that go get involved in cults are necessarily like strange people or
1: weirdos or broken people no no a lot
0: of the time like we were saying earlier it's it's a way of belonging. them bringing you in and yeah. giving you that sense of belonging
1: so i guess i would i would i would just point out that if um, there's a sense of them and us run for the hills if they um if a group gives the idea that they are the only ones who know the truth Run for the hills. If the group has one leader or a small set of leaders that they revere and they basically worship the ground they walk on and you're not allowed to say anything negative about them, run for the basically, hills. Basically, if, if
0: everyone's not on an on an even playing field.
1: Yes. And run. if they <laughs> if if they want you to question the world, but they don't want you to question them, yeah. run.
0: I think that's an, a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. It's been
1: so great. (laughs) I'm honestly so glad I had this opportunity to talk to you. I've I've loved it. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of the third episode of the Wide Awake podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And like I said last week, I hope you're still wide awake. Thank you so much for coming on. This has Thank been, you so much.
1: I'm so <laughs> looking forward to your to your next episodes. Uh, yeah, it's been I've awesome. i subscribed man. and yeah, I, yeah. I can't, I She's can't wait. She's subscribed
0: but have you guys. Because <laughs> the last episode did extremely well. It got 30,000 views so far. But I think there's only 1,500 people following us. So if you haven't hit that subscribe button, hit it. Because there's a lot more episodes coming your way. <laughs> anyway, cheers, guys.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank ah, you so much.
1: It's fabulous,
0: man. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs>